Salutations, my good fucks. Welcome to... <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. I told you I was... Are we going to get sued for that? Will we get sued? Why would we get sued? Can you call someone a my good, good fuck? Yeah. Who, who's going to sue us? Okay, well, I'm uncomfortable. They'd, they'd be helping themselves if they did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> good start. <laughs> Welcome to the One Up Pod, a rare gaming podcast that isn't just four variations of the same bearded man. We only have two. (laughs) (laughs) I am Andy, your host for this month, and I just recovered from COVID, so yay. Yay. Uh, And I am joined by Sasha. Uh, Yes, hello. Oh, oh, Bash, sorry, I forgot to... (laughs) Fuck me. (laughs) I have also recently recovered from COVID. I did not give it to Andy. No, she did not. And Chip. Hello. And Becky. Hello. Good I stuff. haven't had COVID at all. Well, Yay. there's still time. Oh, great. That's, that's just dandy for you, isn't it? It is, yeah. I'm quite proud of We're going to have myself. to talk about this later. Yeah, I'm really happy about that. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. All right, Boris Johnson. <laughs> Fuck you. How dare you. I feel like this is a resigning issue now. So that's how you can tell I'm not Boris Johnson. Ooh. So... Anyway, this month, we are taking a deep dive into a major moment in gaming history, the market crash of 1983. And I have no idea how Chip's going to do a trailer for that. Oh, 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 I had an idea. Oh, what? And you'll hear that now. Will we? Well, if it works. (laughs) If not, I'll just cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was going to ask if the... um, (laughs) Does the E.T. game have a theme? It does. Or some music? Yay, there we go. I'll just play that. Yes, it does. Excellent. Perfect. (laughs) God, that really is fucking awful. So, but before we step into the past, let's talk about the here and now, specifically what we are all playing right now. So, um, I'm going to throw to Bash first. What are you playing? I have been playing Persona 5 Royal, which has very quickly become my favourite game. Um, I do think I have an issue with recency effect. Whatever good game I last played is now my favourite game, and that is currently Persona 5 Royal. (laughs) Final Fantasy fourteen just sat in a corner going. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I've forgotten chocolate. about it now. Final Fantasy, I don't know her. Ooh, <laughs> wow! Kidding, kidding. No, it's um, it's who would have thought right, that a game that's got like hot drawings in a very anime style, it has romance and relationship plots and it is RPG and there is turn-based combat and all of that good fun stuff. Who'd have thought that that would have been like entirely my jam? It's a massive surprise to me. Is, yeah. yeah. I am stunned. So yeah, added to the list words. of JRPGs that Sasha is well into in it. Um, no, it's dead good. <laughs> I'll add that to the list immediately. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, if you could. Yeah, Chip, Chip keeps the list, so he <laughs> carves it onto granite or something. So, uh, Becky, what about you? Uh, I've been playing more Dragon Age Inquisition because I completed it and I went to play the DLC and it turns out there's a personal quest that has massive repercussions for like the outcome of the final DLC. 
and I got really annoyed that I hadn't done it. So I started the game again <laughs> after 150 hours. <laughs> Holy shit. I respect it. Yeah, I had to because I'm, I'm very invested in this outcome. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm doing that. But I'm also playing um, Castlevania on the side on Switch, um, nice. which is really fun. And I'm terrible at it. Uh, so I'm doing like little bits at a time rather than getting really frustrated with it. So check think, back yeah. it like next month. And I might have made it past like the third boss. Maybe. <laughs> it's a good strategy of Castlevania, I think. Just yeah. <laughs> don't dedicate too much time to it because it will break you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I could feel myself like wanting to like march down to a castle and just yell at things because I kept falling down holes. So yeah, figured time for a break. That's how I imagine you spend most of your weekends. Yeah, I mean, it's not far off. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Chip, what about you? (laughs) Tell us all about Assassin's Creed Odyssey or some bullshit again. (laughs) Andy, 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 Andy. Yeah, all right. Um, But no, I've actually had quite a busy month um, because I finished the first Witcher game. I started and finished the second Witcher game. Bonking? Uh, there was, uh, there was, there was bonking. Yeah, there was definitely bonking, but not as much bonking as you thought. No, thankfully not. No (laughs) sex cards in this one. So that's why I like it more. (laughs) I've also played, um, the remake of Uncharted 4 and it's DLC, The Lost Legacy, which Andy and I actually reviewed and people should go and check that out if they have not already. Unless you call Donnie Wahlberg. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, yeah, except, well, I don't think he'll be listening anymore. Put it that way. If he was. Um, <laughs> I started playing Soconauts for the first time and got bored and stopped, which I think might bring me some hate mail. So I'm just going to whisper that so no one hears. Andy and I have been playing some Project Zomboid, which is really, really fun. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I've dipped my toe into some Assassin's Creed Odyssey as well along the way. Uh, but right now I'm playing Horizon Forbidden West <gasps> with my girl Aloy. And it's amazing. I love it. Nice. So pretty. I'm, I'm, I'm. Almost proud of you, but you did mention Assassin's Creed at one point. So. <laughs> yeah, if but, I hadn't played it, I wouldn't have, I promise. But I did, there was like a little period where I got bored with Psychonauts and then like Forbidden West wasn't out yet. So I just needed that stopgap. So yeah, Odyssey. I am getting closer to finishing it. I reckon by this time next year, I'll be even closer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can only hope. Uh <laughs> I've uh, I've been playing a, a lot of stuff, uh, reviewing stuff for our new website. We have one of those now, if you don't know. OneUpPod.com, because PR firms are finally listening to us. Woo-hoo! Yay! Uh, but mostly I've been playing uh, Sifu, which I absolutely fucking love. I've also reviewed that for the website, so check that out. It's pretty rare for me to actually continue playing a game after I've reviewed it. I usually just, like, move on. I'm like a, you know, I don't know. don't know a euphemism for it. I'll move on. <laughs> but I just cannot put Sifu down. I've, I've written so much for this and I didn't write anything there. Fuck. Uh, yeah, but it's absolutely brilliant. And uh, like I said in my review, um, I think Sifu makes me understand what Dark Souls fans get out of all that shit. Like, it's, it's a revelation to me, really. And uh, if you have anyone who's interested in like challenging action games, should definitely nope. try it. No. Nope. No. <laughs> is it the challenging nope. part? Or is it? Yes. Yes. That's fair. I do not have the patience for challenges. We've no games or life. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you are so challenging. Yeah, it's, it's ironic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, without any uh, further fucking about, let's get started because this is going to take a while. <laughs> what a setup! <laughs> <laughs> <It's> moving on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, dear. 
Embrace COVID. Co COVID has softened my brain. Sorry. There is a lot of backstory leading to the market crash of 1983, so this will take some time. I will be taking the lead on this episode, but the rest of the gang will be on hand to like pipe in, like react to the story. I'll also be dropping in some like little questions to like stir some discussion slash nonsensical bullshit, whatever happens. You know, just <laughs> just so it's not just me talking constantly for like an hour, because I do need some water breaks or I will die. Without further ado, let's get stuck into a topic we all know very well. Dreadful decision making. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I don't I don't think I was ready to be called out like that, <laughs> Andy. Oh, you're on the wrong podcast. <laughs> yeah, I just nodded. <laughs> See, Chip Can't hear it. a nod, Chip. He'll, he'll nod add, I will nod louder. He'll add the sound effect. He's the tech boy. There we go. See? Ow. <laughs> What did, did you, you do? Did you headbutt the microphone, Chip? Yeah. They're expensive It's not nodding, is it, Chip? Chip. <laughs> <laughs> what were you saying about challenging? <laughs> Very, is what I said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get started, it is worth noting that the uh, market crash is very much a Western concern. This will not really be impacting the Eastern markets all that much. I just want to emphasise that straight off the top that we'll be largely focusing on America and to a lesser extent Europe just to stop anyone from trying to correct me in the comments or something later on so to understand this story we really do need to go back to the beginning of the home console market and that would be the first generation the first generation spanned 1972 to 1983 and uh, despite the fact this section is going to last a little while it's still going to be considered pretty brief because this was an incredibly stacked generation how stacked exactly well, there are only rough estimates on how many consoles were in circulation in this period. Industry records for the first two generations have more holes in them than John Marston at the end of Red Dead Redemption. Spoilers! <laughs> Too soon, man. Sorry, sorry, John. I couldn't. I couldn't find a. Yeah, it, it hurt me to write that joke, but I couldn't think of a better one. So, it, it, it's just. It's really challenging to get any solid data at this point in history. So. The highest estimate I could find was 902 systems, with the likelihood that even more existed and simply fell through the cracks of time. So I will say that again, 902 consoles at a minimum. And the only game these consoles played was Pong, or some <laughs> variation on Pong. <laughs> I, ho I hope you like balls and sticks, because that's all you were fucking getting this generation. <laughs> Can you even imagine? Like, but yeah. Uh, with that said, the, there were some noteworthy releases in this generation, but not many because, again, nine hundred and two. There were the Magnavox Odyssey, which had the distinction of being the first home console. Home Pong, which was Atari's big home <laughs> release. Home, yeah, it's a very imaginative title. Home Pong. <laughs> Pong home. <laughs> yeah, that was Atari's. Um, home version of their popular arcade game it was arguably the system that started the big tidal wave of copycats there was tv tennis electro tennis which, so pong. which it's it's pong again but they actually beat pong to the shelves but they couldn't obviously match atari's brand power because they couldn't use the pong name and like releasing a game called tv tennis electro tennis is kind of like <laughs> trying to compete with the hoover with a product called dirt suck box or something like that <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine uh, it, no i'd buy you? that i only put that down just because the name was funny it's like it really <laughs> wasn't 
there was really wasn't that interesting in the footnote of history, but there was also the Coleco Telstar, which featured three versions of Pong. There was hockey, handball, and just regular tennis, which was Pong. <laughs> uh, and finally, there was the Color TV Game 6, which came with six variations of Pong. Couldn't <laughs> find out what any of them were, but... They... Like, how many variants of Pong are there? Maybe there's just... one for each, like, um, f- vowel, so it's like Pang Ping. <laughs> Egg. <laughs> Yeah. I was a Pong fan, yeah. personally. <laughs> I was a big fan of... Oh, sorry, I made myself laugh for that one. I'll be back. <laughs> okay. And anyway, yes, uh, uh, Colour TV Game 6 was manufactured by a little uh, playing card company called Nintendo. And we'll be hearing about them another time. Never heard of them. They, they, didn't, they do, didn't do too much. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> th- there were a lot of companies, as you can understand, with like zero experience in making toys getting involved in this including like a slew of retail stores, a Dutch bank, and the Soviet Union. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they straight up just had their own <laughs> government-made console because it was the fucking Soviet Union, and of course they would. In Soviet Russia, games play you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that, that brings us to our first little uh, talking point I'm going to throw to the guys. I'm going to ask you this. Like, imagine the modern gaming landscape resembled the first generation. <laughs> And all of our current gen consoles only had one game. What game would that be? I will go to Becky first. It would be COD, wouldn't it? Like, it <laughs> would just be one. a nightmare of constant derivative first person shooters made for men with Cheez Its in their beard. <laughs> I, I really can't argue with that. That is a very good choice. <laughs> <laughs> just, ugh. I wouldn't be a gamer in that reality. No. <laughs> God, no. Uh, Chip, what about you? What would your what's your idea? Well, I misread this at first, and I thought you meant one for each no, console that just, we had. But you mean one game, just like Pong, just like the Pong generation, but now. Uh, I'll take Pong then. It'd still be Pong. <laughs> <laughs> what about Ping? <laughs> no, that's well outdated. <laughs> ping, ping is like Pong's coming back in style. <laughs> in Pong form. In Pong form. Uh, Bash, what about you? I think it would be a sport. I don't know what sport, because I don't know much about sports. <laughs> Pong's a sport. Pong is a sport. I think on the basis of the only game I know that my dad plays on the reg is FIFA. Ooh, yeah. mm. I feel like it would be a sport. That's that's a good shout, to be fair. <laughs> I, I just love how uncertain you are when you say sport. <laughs> yeah. Is that a thing still? The sports. <laughs> I know the names of sports. I just don't know which ones are the most popular. (laughs) Names of sports. (laughs) What what, what sport is FIFA? It is a football. That's that, yes. (laughs) You know one name. (laughs) It is a football. (laughs) Or soccer, if you're American and wrong. That's fair. <laughs> Hi, US listeners. I do like that even though Sasha's got zero interest in sport, she's still defensive over the idea of it being called soccer. <laughs> <laughs> that just makes perfect sense. So my, my idea would be, I don't want it to be the case, but in my heart of hearts, I think it would be Fortnite, which is mm. convenient because that means I would be employed still in this universe. <laughs> so, um, Wait, are you actually Peely? Uh, no, I'm that... Dickhead with the golden arm or whatever he's called. 
Midas. I, I don't know. I've exhausted my knowledge of uh, Fortnite characters. There. I have no idea what you're talking about anymore. You oh, lost me at stick. Fortnite. Fish stick is the gold. Greetings, fellow dude. kids. <laughs> <laughs> You, you don't want to know all about it. It's a nightmare. Oh, no, I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm happy in my ignorance on this one. We will never be doing a Fortnite episode. That's pretty damn fucking sad. <laughs> It'd be a busman's holiday for me. Uh, so, yeah, the first sol- uh, first generation had a solid five-year run on the market before we hit the arrival of the second console generation in 1976 with the Fairchild Channel F. This gen heralded the introduction of cartridge-based gaming, and this changed everything. The The graphics were better... The programming was more sophisticated, so suddenly you could play games other than Pong. <laughs> but you could also play Pong, because <laughs> one of oh, the fair... few, few. <laughs> You're lucky there, Chip, don't worry. One of the Fairchild's launch titles was a built-in version of Pong. So, you know, well, everybody's yeah. covered there, just in you case you were just baby nervous. Steps with these things. Yeah, you don't want to dive straight into a whole new world to be scary. <laughs> A year later, Atari entered the second generation with the Atari VCS, uh, later to re- be renamed the Atari 2600, and that's generally how I will be referring to it going forward. Now, the reason why Atari waited until a year after the Fairchild was released to release their system is due to a tricky little lawsuit situation. Uh, Magnavox, the company that released the, uh, the first of the Pong Souls, uh, they sued Atari over patent infringements and part of the settlement terms allowed Magnavox access to the technical information of any Atari product announced between June 1976 and June 1977. So Atari deliberately withheld this announcement of the 2600 to prevent Magnavox getting eyes on their hot new product, the crafty fucking cunts. Oh no, I love that. I love that level of pettiness. I do. Yeah, yeah I respect it. it. It's, it's, why, yeah, it's why they became the top dogs, really. Fucking, they weren't idiots for a while. We'll get to that later. <laughs> Atari released the 2600 in September 1977 and it blew the Fairchild out of the water with its superior hardware, more accessible price point and the stronger game's library at launch. Atari is said to have sold between 350,000 and 400,000 units between September 1977 and the end of that year. It took the Fairchild Channel F three years to hit 350,000 units sold. So there's a massive difference between levels of success there. And it really shows you that it doesn't matter if you're the first to do something if someone does it better than you. And when people think about that era of gaming, they typically just think Atari. And that kind of tells you everything. They very much controlled the narrative from the moment they launched the 2600. Did they have Pong to the Ponging on there? I feel I'm almost certain Atari had Pong on there. <laughs> I didn't look that deeply into it because I was fed up of reading about Pong by this point <laughs> in the research. <laughs> I want to know how many times you've said it in this episode so far. We Probably should have a, a Pong one. counter at the end. <laughs> a Pongter. <laughs> yeah, but it's a Ponging. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, what up? Welcome to the One Up Pong. The One Up Pong. The One yes. Up Ping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Give me a chance to drink water there. <coughs> <laughs> we make ourselves laugh. We have to. <laughs> now, the, uh, now, the arrival of the 2600 did not just change the way video games were played, it changed the landscape of the games industry entirely by triggering the first video game market tra- crash in 1977. 
So yes, this is actually the story of two massive market crashes. I just kept one hidden for a while. Ooh. So while the, uh, the cause and effect of the 1983 crash involved a lot of complex factors and took years to manifest, the market crash in 77 was simple and instantaneous. Uh, as you can probably guess, more than 900 bastard consoles on the market is arguably too many. <laughs> so when an exciting new technology was made available, offering players like more bang for their buck, no one wanted to buy Pong souls anymore. So sales... Boo. Uh. chip. It's okay. I'm sure you can get some on eBay or something. So with sales plummeting and unwanted stock piling up to like some terrible game of Tetris... Uh, the gaming industry, as it stood, was almost entirely wiped out. Uh, there's an estimated 290 companies abandoning the console market at once during this crash. Only 18 companies made it through the crash of 1977. Of those 18, 12 would produce hardware for the second generation, while the rest waited that generation out and returned in either the third or fourth generation. Now that the first generation is done and dusted at this point in history... Uh, this brings us to our next little talking point. So yeah, we can probably all agree 900 systems means the, the you know, ones that only play Pong means <laughs> the first gen was pretty lousy. So what, in your opinions, have been the best console generations so far? And I will throw to Bash. You know, I was talking about recency effect. <laughs> right, so in, in reality, I played probably the PlayStation 2 more than any other console. Um, until the PlayStation 4, I reckon, in terms of, you know, catalogue and backwards compatibility as well. So really it was all my PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 games and stuff like that, whatever that generation was, solid. What I will say, though, is I think the new generation, so PlayStation 5, whatever the latest Xbox is, I don't know, Series Y, I have no idea, PCs, (laughs) Switch, and the like, I think we're on the cusp of having genuinely the best generation so far, not just technologically speaking, because obviously technologically speaking, watching some of the Horizon Forbidden West um, gameplay on the PS5, fucking stunning. But I think games makers and console producers are sort of really starting to see the light in terms of cross-play on games as well. I think we're really genuinely on the cusp of you know most games being able to be played across most systems i don't think there's much at all that i play and love that i can't play across at least two platforms if not more so i think we might be on the best generation so far but again i did also mention early in the episode recency effect so (laughs) you know i just like it right now I think yeah. you make a good point about the cross-gen thing because I feel like there's going to be a point where like Game Pass is like going to spread, and I I do sincerely think Game Pass is going to end up on like the PlayStation at the very least because like Microsoft seem very open to just getting that out onto as many systems as they can, and that will definitely open up cross-play even more. Mm. So that, that's that's just my big theory for this generation. Xbox Game Pass is just going to spread, and it's not going to be exclusive to Xbox. But, but yeah, I think you've got a good point about the horizons expanding this generation. Let's go to Chip. What What's your favourite generation of consoles? Wow, in a unique and unprecedented event, I mostly agree with Bash. <gasps> <gasps> I, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, the PS2 is probably my... I need to sit down. You're witnessing history here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Once in a lifetime. It will never happen again, I'm sure. 
but yeah, my the PS2 is still probably my favourite console for just the sheer amount of games that was on it and having Xbox there as well. Um, I mean, they only really had Halo, but you know, Halo still really great. So I really enjoyed that generation. But considering I'm playing Forbidden West at the moment and I spent half my time just in photo mode <laughs> looking at everything, uh, I'm really excited to see what happens in this generation. But I want to shout out um, the Nintendo and Sega era as well because it, that might be a lot of nostalgia attached to that because I just remember being a kid and it was like you were definitely either one or the other. Thankfully, hopefully, we are trying to move away from that in this generation apart from, you know, all the other dickheads. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I've got a lot of fun memories of um, being sort of a Sega boy and then going to play my friends on Nintendo and glaring at him but secretly really enjoying all the games that he had. That's, that's a good shout out. Becky, what's your favourite? <laughs> um well Are you I agreeing agree with, with everybody <laughs> uh, yeah well i do i do agree with um fashion chip i also like the playstation 4 era has seen some of my favorite game storytelling ever we've just come through a really exciting time of developers pushing boundaries and you know taking the opportunity to make games as cinematic as possible to really push it as an art form um in a way that i think the ps2 and then 360 era did as well. But I, I feel like the last, the sort of PS4, Xbox, whichever generation, I think it's been such an exciting time uh, for games across the board. Again, could also be a recency thing. I just know that, you know, the last few years of having my PS4 have been some of my, my favourite gaming experiences of all time. So I think that's where I'm sitting, which is sort of on the fence, but not. Yeah. <laughs> I do think the PS4 era is my favourite since the PS2 sort of era, but yeah. I'm gonna, I'm just going to pick the the sixth generation, which was the PlayStation 2, Xbox, Dreamcast, GameCube as my pick, because by this point in history, all the fucking wannabes that were trying to get in the industry had all fucked off because uh, PlayStation had basically dominated the previous generation, so there was there no duds at all as far as quality goes. Like, the PlayStation 2 obviously ruled the entire generation with an iron fist mm. but we also had xbox and the introduction of xbox live which really opened up online gaming the short-lived but really beautiful dreamcast and the massively underrated gamecube it's like not all of them were successful and could be argued the playstation 2 was the only one that actually was successful but they were all great systems producing great games and i just have lots of love for that generation it was just like all killer no filler really I always fondly remember every aspect of that generation. But the PlayStation 4 era comes very close because of, like what Becky said, how much it's advanced, like, gaming storytelling. So, as the second gen truly got underway, sales for the Atari would continue to rise at a modest pace following the 77 market crash. Uh, nothing earth-shattering, but considering, like, 90% of their competition just got financed out of fucking existence, <laughs> they had time and very little competition. By 1978, the Atari had sold 550,000 units, which was nearly half a million off their projected target. Um, there were mild concerns about Atari's future at this point, but Atari parent company Warner Communications propped them up with financial support to keep them afloat while they built back their base. And there's a popular saying that goes around, a high tide lifts all boats, and this renewed excitement surrounding the growing console market had the knock-on effect of creating a new arcade gaming boom. And the first major hit of this era was Space Invaders. Now, this was a legitimate phenomenon. It's 
become a lot more commonplace today for video games to be massive blockbusters that can like outgross Hollywood. Like look at GTA 5 or Minecraft for like examples of that. But in 1978, this was like a whole new thing. Space Invaders was like so popular in Japan that like entire arcades were dedicated solely to this title. <laughs> they were they were social hubs and they were called, uh, well, they were nicknamed Invader Houses, it's, which is pretty cool. I've got some pictures of that I might post on the Twitter account. By the end of 1978, Taito had installed 100,000 machines in Japan and grossed 670 million, which, when adjusted for inflation, converts to $2.8 billion in today's Fuck money. Jesus <laughs> And that was Christ. just in Japan. So, yeah, for some extra context, and adjusting for inflation again, the uh, Star Wars A New Hope made over $1 billion between 1977 and 1978 in the United States. So Space Invaders absolutely clowned George Lucas. <laughs> I, I, I was I was shocked. I mean, technically they're both space invaders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, they pro they all they fed into each other. It was a whole big thing, wasn't it? At that point yeah. in culture, like everyone's really excited about space stuff. If only George Lucas made a pong film. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to hear a lot of pong anymore, Chip. I just need you to know that. <laughs> I'm always hearing pong. Don't worry. <laughs> Jeez. <Yeah>. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Moving into 1979, Space Invaders had 750,000 units installed worldwide now and had grossed what comes to $4.2 billion adjusted. However, its position as top dog in the arcades was coming to an end as Atari released Asteroids, which quickly became Atari's biggest arcade hit and the most popular arcade game in the world. And by 1980, Asteroids had netted $2 billion adjusted again. And this was also... Funnily enough, Asteroids was the first time games allowed initials for the high score. So I'm going to ask another question. <laughs> if you got a top score in a game, what free initials would you use? Chip. Well, mine would just be CHP, wouldn't it? Because you just take out the I, easy peasy, or it'd be C for A, Chip Ferris. Oh. That's cute. <laughs> uh, Becky. Mine's really easy. It's, I always use BEX for Bex. And there was a top score at the Arcade Club in Barrie for the Star Wars Return of the Jedi Arcade for the top daily score. That was me. Mm. So, yeah. Nice. Show off. Yeah. First driver, now this. I know. Now. I'm unstoppable <laughs> at Barrie Old Games. Will your arrogance never end, <laughs> Becky? <laughs> Just had it up to here with you and your competence. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone's going to keep this motley crew afloat. Can't dispute it, really. <laughs> uh, Bash, what would your initials be? I am really boring. Mine would probably be my initials. I'm sorry. I don't... <laughs> I mean, everyone's been doing variations on that theme. It's, yeah. I don't feel like you have to apologise. Whereas I would write ass. Because yeah. you can't... <laughs> it's a classic. You can't spell classic without ass. So what does that tell you, you know? And your initials are technically ass, so... Yeah, close enough. Like, oh, Ash. I don't have a middle name. I'd, I, if I had a middle name of an S, I would have been sorted. They couldn't tell me off for that. Oh, let's call you Sergio, and then you can have it. <laughs> Thank you. We will. That's canon now. Andrew, Sergio <laughs> Shaw. That sounds like a late-night DJ with questionable morality. <laughs> <laughs> and loud shirts. <laughs> so close to being true, but without the loud shirts. <laughs> So yeah, uh, before we get back to the games, we need to talk about two more key factors that would build towards the crash. Firstly, it was the rise of the home computer. 
Between 1977 and 79, home computers were becoming more affordable and were steadily growing in popularity, especially in Europe. Secondly, and more crucially, we need to talk about game developers. Several key Atari programmers were butting heads with management at this point in time, believing that their talent should be properly compensated with both credit and royalties. They were really strongly arguing that developers should be treated fairly and like people. And these programmers broke off from Atari late 1979 and founded Activision. <laughs> oh, God, the irony. Oh, wow. I know. I fucking... My jaw dropped. Oh. Uh-huh, uh... <laughs> oh, wow. Um, right. How the mighty okay. fell. Ooh. Uh, I, yeah. What happened? That's, oh. I, I'm, I'm curious about that as well. Uh, so this, That's an episode in itself. Yeah, probably. That'll be a rough one. cow. Yeah. I, I was not expecting to see their name pop up here. Uh, so this made Activision the first official third-party developer for the Atari 2600. And, you know, it really is a sick joke that a company founded on the principle that developers deserve to be treated better would become fucking Activision Blizzard that we know in <laughs> 2022. It's... You know, considering how capitalism seems to corrupt even the best of intentions, what game publisher do you think is the absolute fucking worst today? (laughs) (laughs) Let's all say it at the same time. Three, two, one, Activision. Activision. Yeah, Yeah, Activision. Yeah. 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 Sorry, I think I went to speak and then just did that kind of like thing where your throat catches. So I was there. I just. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite happy it went absolutely tits up there, to be honest. I did kind of throw yeah. that Activision one out. Activision has that effect on people. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. It kind of melts your brain to think about how a company that could be arguing, hey, treat us better, would be that. Be like some of the biggest monsters in the gaming industry ever. It's It's depressing as hell frankly and all i'm going to say now is microsoft better fire bobby kotick the second they put pen to paper because <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell but regardless of our thoughts on modern day activision and we have many <laughs> uh, the founders picked the right moment to go it alone at this point the atari 2600 had now sold a million units by the close of 1979 a sizable audience for atari was now in place so now let's put our rubik's cubes and flares to one side and wave goodbye to the 1970s because it's time to pick up some Molly Ringwald Betamaxes and affordable cocaine. Because it's the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> the decade kicked off with a big win for Atari. Space Invaders was finally ported to the 2600 in 1980. This was the first officially licensed arcade port, and it proved to be the gaming world's first ever system seller. By March of 1980, Space Invaders had helped double the console sales for the year to more than 2 million units. The sales trend would continue upwards for the next few years. Now returning to arcades, leaving Space Invaders for a while, Pac-Man was released at the same time. Now before I go <laughs> on any further, I want to hear everyone's Pac-Man impressions. So <laughs> I hope you've been practicing. This is revenge for that Batman thing. It's Becky. <laughs> I was gonna, you made me laugh now. I was gonna do it in your Batman voice, like waka waka. That's actually pretty good though for Pac-Man. <laughs> uh, Chip, hit us with your Pac-Man. Okay, okay, here we go. I've been practicing this. 
What the fuck? I'm trapped in this shitty fucking maze again. And there's fucking ghosts. Great. Oh, only fucking fruit to eat. Brilliant. Now, nah, fuck that. I'm eating these bastard spoops. Here, come here, you flashing cunt. I really wish I hadn't thrown to you second. Because... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm... I've been workshopping that all day. So. Do you want, do you want to come... like... No. You, yeah, no. I was going to ask if you want me to pass you over because I don't feel... Yeah, I'm not going to do mine either. Fuck that. Great. Thank you, Chip. <laughs> You're welcome. I never thought we'd get Cockney Pac-Man. <laughs> <laughs> what a gift. Thank you, Chip. Sincerely. So, Jesus Christ. I was not expecting that. Nope. I'm very happy I asked that question now. <laughs> <laughs> so, give me a minute. <laughs> Everyone have a moment. Yeah, I need that to was a, lot. For a second. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, Pac-Man, who doesn't sound like a cockney normally, uh, <laughs> it's an interesting case, this, because it was devised and marketed to court the female dem- uh, demographic primarily, uh, people that game- um, games like Space Invaders and Asteroids were largely overlooking, because uh, invader houses full of men are not really going to attract women into play. Uh, if you've ever been to a poorly ventilated comic shop or attended a wrestling show, you will know why. <laughs> Seriously, when, last time I went to a wrestling show, I just stood by the bar and inhaled all the stale beer because it was better than sitting in my seats. <laughs> Lovely. Anyway, yeah, women simply weren't interested in Space Invaders or Asteroids, and it was a huge chunk of the market being shut out. Uh, Pac-Man brought in some brighter colours, more appealing visuals, and a more <laughs> uh, cerebral play style to the table. And while it was not an immediate hit, it gained pro- uh, prominence and would become the most popular arcade game in Japan by the end of 1980. I just, sorry, I just want to pick up on the the way you phrase that. Then, <laughs> women need to be attracted with bright colours. Like, oh, look at the shiny! <laughs> I thought I'd start with all the condescending down and stuff, and then add cerebral at the end. Like, <laughs> Like if we make it pretty, Swirl. the women will come. That what I mean. That was oh, their all thinking. Basically to be fair. So. <laughs> yeah, carry I mean, on. I mean, it, it, I mean, it that worked. Just tickled me. <laughs> so yeah, uh, contrary to the beliefs of misogynists with Cheeto dust lining their lungs, women have always been a part of gaming culture. So <laughs> suck my dick, Gamergate. Yes. Okay. Now you've got me back on board. So there you go. I was building to something. <laughs> So yeah, Pac-Man would also unwittingly become another part in the market crash, which will come much later. And with arcades just consistently knocking out massive hits, 1981 onwards saw like an explosion of arcade releases that were just became massive, massively iconic titles. We had like Donkey Kong, Frogger, Centipede, Gallagher, and Ms. Pac-Man. The story behind Ms. Pac-Man is actually really interesting in itself, but that would like probably take an entire episode to get into unless Aaron Sorkin writes a movie about it before I get to it. So we'll see which happens first there. You know, so, sorry to, to interject again. One of the interesting things I kept coming across while I was doing my Lara Croft research in terms of Lara Croft's impact on popular culture is literally every article was like, she's the biggest thing since Ms. Pac-Man. And I'm like, really? Like, everyone was going I'm on probably... about Ms. Pac-Man was the most iconic female character until Lara Croft. <laughs> and I was like, oh... I mean, it's sad, but it's probably true because Ms. Pac-Man was fucking huge. Yeah, but, was... like, the gap is insane. Yeah, it's been a, <laughs> it was a long, long wait for someone I who... just realised you guys didn't mean, like, physically big. I was like, fuck, how big was Pac-Man? 
I mean, oh, I don't think we've ever had that study. That's true, actually. I'll, well, if I'll, you I'll think if, if a ghost is a human ghost and it's the size it of a human, a human then Pac-Man is huge. Fuck me, that's terrifying. Then how big's the fruit? But how big's the fruit? Yeah. <laughs> that's fucking huge cherries. <laughs> Sorry. Or is it like is <laughs> it, is it the ghost sense. of children? I but still, I children? question how big the fruit is even against yeah. the child. Were they babies? Unborn babies? Oh, no. Ooh. Whoa. What, the fruit? Yeah. No, the ghosts. <laughs> what? Wait. I mean, they The like, ghosts I, are I, the I, unborn I, fruit babies. Babies are like the size of fruit when they're developing. That's the only thing I've got. Uh, let's move on from Segway. this very disturbing <laughs> tangent. Again, this is an episode in itself. Yes. How we'll big discuss is Pac-Man? How big is Pac-Man? And investigation? <laughs> Very... Oh, I could play like noir music and everything underneath it. It'd be amazing. Structure it like a Dance true crime documentary. Yeah. Live action Pac-Man. Oh my god, this is like unlike Pac-Man. Oh, <laughs> <gasps> Andy could get seduced by Miss Pac-Man and then she betrays him. Sure. <laughs> she, she, I mean, she is a bit of a femme fatale. She can eat ghosts. Fuck's sake. They can both eat ghosts. I'm gonna go write this. Yeah. Sorry, oh, I'll be right back. You mean Lara Croft? Lara Croft can eat ghosts. What? Oh, you mean Pac-Man? Yeah, I'm not sure Lara, Lara Croft why would Lara ghosts? Croft be eating ghosts? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you did all the research. No, as far as I know, she never ate ghosts. Okay, well, you heard it here first. Lara <laughs> Croft's never eaten a ghost. <laughs> as far as we know. Uh, well, there's the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, by night... Okay, okay, hold on, I need another drink. <laughs> by 1981, Atari's sales for the 2600 had hit 6 million, a jump of 4 million from the previous year. And uh, with cash pouring in, just left and right, the video game industry was acting like the party was never going to end. But... It would turn out they were actually at the New Year's Eve party from Buggy Nights, and William H. Macy was about to shoot himself in their living room. And that brings us to 1982. <laughs> you had so much fun writing this, didn't you? I did. I had. I, I have had that line written for like a year. I just had to find a way to stick it in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was very proud of that line. It is a good I don't line. care. I do not care if I spelled Boogie Nights for you. You should have watched it by now already. So let's move on. Sorry, people listening. I, I haven't seen it and I don't care. I, I spelled Red Dead Redemption earlier, so fuck it. <laughs> anyway, so we're in 1982 now. Yay, the year I was born because I'm old. As, As well. <laughs> As fuck. <laughs> Thank you for that. High five, Chip. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, while the arcade scene was gaining more mainstream attention thanks to the release of uh, the Pac-Man Fever song and Disney's Tron, uh, the Atari home market stranglehold was starting to loosen up a bit. Atari had lost the Donkey Kong license to rivals Coleco, and they completely botched the launch of their Atari 5200 system. Uh, This is really fucking just a dunderheaded choice here. I don't understand them at all. The Atari 5200 was initially incompatible with the 2600's massive library. So kind of think of this like uh, Sony releasing the PS3 Slim right as the PS2 is peaking in popularity. Just, it makes no fucking sense at all. uh, They just got greedy and they got cocky and it blew up in their faces. The first of many. Atari had to release a revised unit with a second cartridge slot that would allow for 2600 cartridges, but... The damage was done by this point. People just weren't interested in the 5200 while the 2600 was still releasing games. 
market-wide sales were starting to drop for Atari and but they were still strong but not as good as they had been there was just a natural decline in their sales but they were still the top seller in the industry despite all that now remember the Activision split I mentioned earlier I'm sure you haven't forgotten <laughs> <laughs> let's jump back to 1980 briefly when Atari attempted to sue Activision for copyright infringement and theft of trade secrets they also petitioned the courts to block Activision for producing and releasing cartridges for their system during the course of this lawsuit. It's kind of like what happened when Apple blocked Epic from releasing Fortnite on the iOS while they went to court, because tech giants can be real petty. Atari and Activision finally settled in 1982, agreeing to a fixed royalty rate and establishing a process for, for legitimising third parties to develop games on Atari hardware. So Atari had, at this point, officially lost all publishing control of their systems, and this would be hugely important to what would happen. Now, Activision's win initially ushered in only a handful of new third-party publishers. They were Imagic, Games by Apollo, Console Rivals Coleco, the Sly Fox, <laughs> CBS Video Games, the iconic Parker Brothers, and popular toy manufacturer Mattel. Activision's Pitfall released in 1982 to great acclaim and sold 4 million units, which put it up against the most popular uh, games of Atari's library at that time. And this fully vindicated the belief that third-party games could thrive in the market and, like so much liquid waste spilling from a busted septic tank, a wave of subpar third-party publishers quickly flooded the market. I'm not saying that line again, it took me two goes. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't just... Sorry. Yes, it... Yeah, that's it. I, I regret writing it, but I'm happy for the mental image I created. That's all that matters. So yeah, it wasn't just video games putting a strain on the market. The, the rush to get in on the hot video game craze, especially ahead of Christmas, was bringing out a ceaseless barrage of video game consoles that stood literally zero chance of competing in the marketplace, but they crammed the shelves nonetheless. It was officially open season for manufacturers and publishers, and just like when Pong took off, companies with zero history in video games or toys, or even the basic concept of entertainment were getting in on the action, and things got out of hand pretty quickly. So here's a little list of just some of the games crapped out by third-party companies. <coughs> we have Bachelor Party, which is basically the arcade classic breakout, but with nude people sprites, and you get rewarded with a weird-looking sex scene at the end of the game. Uh. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Yeah. It, it gets worse. Oh, eventually oh, oh. Uh, there was a beauty in the beast game which was a, sh a shameless ripoff of donkey kong and even more shamelessly uh, ripoff it was called wait wait who what there was a game what? there was a game called beauty in the beast cut that was a was bell mario i don't i don't know i didn't see any of it, it just it's very indis i mean you saw the graphics in this era like very indistinct shapes i don't quite know how they made it work and it wasn't but even based on the tv show so i don't understand it and there was also a game called Pack Kong, and that seems like the most cynical <laughs> attempt to trick your grandparents into buying the wrong game. I just I can't even imagine being more cynical about that uh, fucking name. That was just uh, that, that was just a disgrace. Where's my donkey pong? <laughs> oh, no. oh, oh my god! Oh, I've, I've created a monster. Uh, and he's chucking ghosts at everyone. <laughs> Actually, I'd buy that game. To be fair. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> it's our hero. 
that there was a game called Revenge of the Beefsteak Tomatoes, and I will not elaborate on that any further. <laughs> a game called Chase the Chuck Wagon, which was made by Purina Dog Food. Just a dog food, a dog food company made a video game. I'm not making that up. That's fucking insane. <laughs> there was a developer called Mythicon, and they released three low price point titles to pull in budget gamers. They were Firefly, Sorcerer, and Star Fox, unrelated to the Nintendo series, and they were all the exact same fucking game. <laughs> Just uh, abso- absolutely shameless. It, it, I think I can't remember what it's like. Some kind of shoot 'em up flying bullshit. But anyway, and there was also this is the last one I'm going to say, and I'm. I, Deeply regret having to research this, but I've done it, so I'm just going to talk about it. Just brace yourselves. <laughs> the game is called Beat 'em and Eat 'em. <laughs> yeah, if you're thinking it sounds gross, that's because your mind is in the gutter, but the gutter is where this game lives, so you're actually correct. <laughs> so, <laughs> Beat 'em and Eat 'em has. Uh... Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> was it co-op? Beat him and eat him has the player controlling a naked woman at the bottom of the screen no. with oh, a computer-controlled, no. alarmingly well-endowed man ejaculating <laughs> profusely at the top of the screen and you attack Catella. Fuck. I'm not repeating this line. I'm just going to carry on through the flood. <laughs> You're tasked with catching the rain of jism with your mouth. <laughs> and they released a gender-flipped version of this called the Philly Flasher because quality <laughs> is important. <laughs> so yeah it was unquestionably a very horny and terrible period in games <laughs> I'd like to change my answer to the best console generation <laughs> question please oh no I'm just saying I'm not playing that game on Twitch at, a, at any point <laughs> I, don't think Twitch would hey, if it's I don't co-op. think I would be allowed yeah to be fair it was gross I looked at screenshots it was terrifying oh no oh so, it's yeah, it's safe to say people were getting overwhelmed with this absolute fucking garbage and it was starting to wear them down. But Atari could not place all of the blame on third-party publishers eroding consumer confidence. Their own output was becoming equally rushed and poorly thought out, if not quite as horny. <laughs> uh, we will start with the Atari 2600 part of Pac-Man. I told you Pac-Man was coming back, which was notoriously bad. Uh, the bright, colourful, hypnotically scored arcade hit was now drab as all fucking shit, the AI was significantly worse, and the Atari hardware couldn't actually cope with that many moving parts on screen at one time. So as a workaround, the developer they made it so the ghosts constantly blink out of existence to allow Pac-Man to move around the maze more fluidly. So this was obviously an aesthetic nightmare, but even more alarmingly, I actually found a news article from uh, February 1983 that reported the game triggered epileptic fits in two teenage boys. Ooh. And neurologists from the world-famous Mayo Clinic actually issued a warning against children playing it. That's how fucking bad Pac-Man got. I was about to make a joke about women not playing it anymore because the colours weren't pretty, but I feel bad now, so... Yeah. That was the joke I was going to make. <laughs> you monster. I know. But how big was he? <laughs> how big were the boys? Probably about the size of a 15-year-old. I don't know. <laughs> and then, at, at long last, we're going to get to E.T., the extraterrestrial. The myth, the legend, the absolute pile of shit. <laughs> so, Steven, uh, Steven Spielberg's E.T. was obviously a monster hit at the box office, and Atari managed to get the coup of all coups by getting the license for it. 
and estimates for how much that license cost are somewhere between 54 and 67 million when adjusted for inflation. Oof. They were not dealing in chump change here. They were banking on this being a massive hit for them. Ooh. <coughs> yeah, it gets worse, this story. Fucking hell. In uh, July of 1982, Atari hired programmer Howard Scott Warshaw at the behest of Steven Spielberg. Uh, Warshaw had just finished adapting uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which had yet to be released, but had left a good impression on Spielberg based on what he'd produced. The intention was to develop the game in time for Christmas 1982, so the game needed to be finished by September to meet the production and shipping requirements. So that's less than two months to develop a game, and like even back then, that was an insane task. Six months was the standard development window for games on the Atari. Warshaw had spent six months programming uh, Raiders, for example. When Warshaw presented his concept of E.T. to Spielberg, the beard was not that impressed and suggested they just rip off Pac-Man. But obviously we know Pac-Man on the Atari is not a great idea, so Warshaw did not consider that because it's impossible to program a functional Pac-Man game in two months. The Pac-Man game we got took six months and that was a fucking disaster. What Warshaw did make was... Um, it almost defies description. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to run through the actual objectives of the game, how it's supposed to function and all that shit. I had to actually look this up because I could not discern any of this from playing it myself. <laughs> your, your main goal is to collect pieces of a space phone. Uh, you find these inside pits scattered around several screens and you escape these pits by extending your neck and levitating out. So, so far, exactly like how I remember E.T. <laughs> <laughs> There's a number at the bottom of the screen, and this represents your energy score, and it depletes when you do literally anything. Move around, perform an action, it's just draining your life source. Just exist. Yeah, that feels like yeah, me. Really. Yeah. Existence is death in this game. It's, it's a bit <laughs> nihilistic for Spielberg, but yeah, well, it, it's hard to deny. Uh, the only way to really stop this decline in your health is to eat Reese's Pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless. Uh, after you collect the phone, the player must guide E.T. to an area where he can use the phone to call his home planet, like in that famous line from the movie, uh, E.T. Call Planet. Uh, once... <laughs> sure. I remember movies. I'm a cinephile. <laughs> oh, I really want a t-shirt with that on now. E.T. Cold Planet. I feel like we wouldn't get sued if we made that t-shirt. We'd be fine. <laughs> well, if it's the E.T. from the game, we'll be fine. Yeah. So yeah, once the call is initially made, a clock appears at the top of the screen, uh, apparently. And E.T. has to arrive at the landing zone before it reaches zero. And there are also scientists and FBI agents uh, trying to chase you around, capture you and take you to prison. But... I felt the design of the FBI agents looked a bit like a cartoon flasher. So it just yes. seems like E.T. is being pursued by a sex pest to me. It was a <laughs> bit weird. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I showed you guys some footage of me playing E.T. You did. Uh, much to my suffering. What were your impressions of it? Did it make any sense to you? Did it look as bad as its reputation? I will throw to Becky first. Well, I will say I couldn't watch the whole thing because... You got so angry, and it was so frustrating to watch that I could feel myself like getting angry on your behalf. Um, I didn't I get any better. Like the tenth time you fell back down in the pit, and I was like, I can't do this to myself anymore. 
No, it didn't make any sense. Yes, they look like cartoon flashes. I didn't get that you were building a phone. I had no idea what the countdowns were. It looked hideous. Like, the colours are just... E.T. looked ill. Like, I I don't know whether they were trying to capture that moment in the film, but... Yeah. Yeah. I did did really enjoy the music, though, the version of the theme. So there was that. It had that going for it. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I I, I looked quite green by the end of playing it. To be fair, <laughs> I'm I, can, not I can relate to ET. Uh, Chip, what about you? Well, it was kind of hard to tell at first because I think, as I said in the group chat, it was 87% angry Andy noises. <laughs> uh, there's just a lot of grunts and <sighs> like things being thrown and yeah. I mean, the video was six minutes long and that did feel like it was seven minutes too long by the end of it. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of guess you had to collect things because there was a point where you accidentally found something and it <laughs> into a little thing at the top of the screen. I mean, it looks utter shite, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, but there's, there's part of me that's like, considering the state that some games are released in nowadays, it, I don't know, maybe it is a little unfair. Like, it's a really bad game, but did it deserve to be fucking buried in the desert somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I heard the like the exasperated sigh as Andy like sat back <laughs> in his chair. <laughs> like you could tell he just like moved away from the screen and went oh. like <laughs> So yeah. I, I can understand why people wanted to bury it in the desert. Yeah. So Bash, that's for us of you next. Yeah, I think my favourite moment was when you were like, This isn't going to beat me and then you immediately fell back in the hole <laughs> and the the sound that you made followed by the most sinister laugh <laughs> like exasperated like it it felt like a this is my villain origin story moment <laughs> like i was watching that in real time happen in a 6 minute video i didn't even remember making that laugh in terms of the game itself, it took me a long while to realise which one was E.T., to be fair. It looks like a really weird like Pac-Man model at first. I was like, why has it got like, this really big mouth thing? And then I realised that was the long neck with the head on top. Yeah, I thought it was a mouth at I first. I can probably draw what I mean quite easily. I was like, my brain was just not understanding at all. My favourite part is when you died and then Elliot comes to revive you and you're like, please don't. <laughs> please just leave me. Well, the, the, the first one where you're like, fuck off, Elliot. <laughs> I thought I thought there was going to be li- like very limited lives. It was going to be that kind of challenge. But then he came back to revive me a second time. And I was like, fuck, no, fuck this. I, I give up. <laughs> My intention was play it a while and try and get as like get to grips with it. And, but I was like, no, I don't give a shit. I'll just Google it. Fuck it. <laughs> I cannot do this. Caroline was in the other room worried about me because I was making totally angry noises and swearing and stuff. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I've never called E.T. a little green prick before, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> this game brought that out of me. That, that, that's a character I, I was so heavily invested in as a child and I, I wept. And now, now I, was just, I was glad to see him die in this. Like, <laughs> terrible. Wow. It killed your childhood. It did a little bit of my inner child just like keeled over, <laughs> decayed a little bit. Uh, all right, maybe it is a bad game. Like then. a withered hand now of my, my <laughs> inner child. So yeah, so as you can probably guess, ET is unquestionably a bad game. Like yeah, it, like it nearly broke me. Like Sasha said, I, I felt like Walter White in the Crawl Space episode of Breaking Bad, just <laughs> cackling to myself. In six minutes as well, I mean... In six minutes? I usually yeah. last... I lasted a while with Jump King before that broke my spirit. 
ET got me in six minutes. Possibly less, because it was six minutes before I gave up. I was just punishing myself after three, I think. But I don't think it's the worst game of all time. It's just not. I played worse games that had more time and money behind them. Games that had zero excuse of being bad. Whereas E.T. feels like it had every reason to be bad. Given the development cycle. And yeah, given he was working like on a third of the schedule he was usually working with. Warshaw did like a commendable job of finishing the fucking thing. It wasn't really buggy. It wasn't incomplete. It had a purpose, a function. It was just poorly conceived, utterly obtuse, and beyond fucking annoying. <laughs> <sighs> You're over it, right? You're yeah. Over it. You're good. I, I regret just thinking that it would be a good idea to play it. I should have just found someone playing it on YouTube or something. Fucking I'm, I'm really glad Again, you, six minutes. you did that for us. Like, six the Jump King breakdown was a while ago now. It's been a while since we've had, like, an Andy meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I, I, I've i recovered. I've forgiven Jump King. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to be ready to forgive E.T. <laughs> so, yeah, E.T., not the worst game of all time. What it really is, is the most high-profile title in existence to suck this much ass before a massive market crash. <laughs> it just... It made for a very easy scapegoat, really. It didn't, like, physically harm anyone like Pac-Man, but Pac-Man wasn't going to take a big PR hit like that. The game already had a very strong reputation in the arcades. It was just too strong to take down. E.T. was a bad game based on the biggest movie in the world. It was pretty easy choice for what which game to throw under the bus. It's been given that reputation just as a way to simplify a multitude of failures committed by the industry, letting them all off the hook, throwing E.T. and... Uh, Howard Scott Warshaw under the bus. It's just, it is honestly not fair how history's chose to frame this story around that. But you did make a really wank game, Howard. I'm sorry, it's not your fault, but I. Mm. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch the movie again either. So, yeah, with E.T. being the latest in a long line of nails in this coffin, consumer confidence was absolutely rocked, and people simply stopped trusting the Atari brand and games in general. We've seen what happens when a consumer loses interest in a product in like a healthy, competitive marketplace. Consumer interest usually just shifts somewhere else, but things will relatively remain stable. Like, for example, when Sony replaced Sega as an alternative to Nintendo, like the market pretty much handled the loss of Sega. But that's not what happened here. Consumer interest didn't really shift, it just fucking dissipated. And what I'm going to break down next is the just a staggering display of hubris displayed by the gaming industry at this point. And it is arguably the lethal factor in all of this, more so than like a shitty ET game. In a bid to compete with the ever-escalated marketplace, publishers and console manufacturers were flooding the market with their goods. It said that maybe two years' worth of product was released in a one-year period, with seemingly nothing left over. The, the cupboards were just fucking bare. There were no contingency plans in place in case any of these products failed to sell. They had nothing left to offer as like a replacement product to mitigate the cost of any refunds. They honestly thought they were untouchable, and they were wrong. And that brings us to 1983, when the market crash happens. Atari had market saturation at this point, and when a, a sizable chunk of its audience just walked away, that was just—it's just catastrophic. Like, ev and ev 
every company tied to Atari was taken down with them, which is essentially every major developer and publisher in the business. No one wanted to buy new games, no one was buying new systems. Stores had to send back like masses of game cartridges and game systems to publishers that could not meet the refunds required. So with no replacement goods available, no way to offer monetary refunds for the insane amount of stock that's being returned, companies were rocked with massive losses. But even if they had products to put back on the shelves, the retailers had also completely lost confidence in games as a reliable seller. From a 1983 New York Times article, an unnamed president of an American retail chain said, We think video games are still a viable product for Christmas, but they are no longer have appeal of a 12-month item. It's just a product that's run its course. So the industry nosedived from 1983 on and absolutely flatlined by 1985. Spanning that two-year period, the industry went from a peak of $3.2 billion in revenue to an estimated 100 million, which is like a 97% drop. Fuck. Uh, banks such as like Wells Fargo were now refusing to offer any gaming companies lines of credit to see them through this rough period because, and I'm quoting a publisher here who wanted to remain anonymous in the article, they were all doomed. <laughs> they, they didn't sugarcoat it. <laughs> and when I say any companies, I also mean Atari, just like even the top dog, just... They just were not a viable business anymore Oof. to credit companies. And obviously, with no money left to keep the lights on or pay their staff, a lot of companies closed. Uh, here's a brief rundown of a few companies that were killed in the crash. Uh, Coleco, Games by Apollo, Imagic, US Games, Mythicon. But, I mean, they deserved it after what they released <laughs> with those fucking budget games. And Mystique. And they probably also deserved it because they released the exceedingly racist and rapey Custer's Revenge. So I'm not going to shed any tears over them. Ooh. Is that have you not have you not heard of Custer's Revenge? I've not heard of Custer's Revenge. It's a well, I, can, Ooh, I have. You can imagine it, it involves oh, yeah, a no, lot I, of horrible I, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh fuck. Okay. That that whole period was fucking strange <laughs> <laughs> and upsetting. Uh, a few notable companies did survive the crash. Uh, Parker Brothers and Mattel made it through because they were both successful toy makers and did not solely rely on video games to profit, although the gaming output of uh, Parker Brothers drastically slowed down following 1983. Activision, obviously they didn't fucking die. They suffered from downsizing in the years to follow, but grew back in prominence, backed by a collection of popular IPs, to become one of the most successful protectors of sexual predators in the industry. They are currently in the process of being acquired by Microsoft because the world is a fucking joke sometimes. <laughs> Sad weep. Oh, fucking hell. So yeah, if a, and like I said earlier, if a high tide rises all boats, a low one will scuttle those cunts. Because arcades suffered <laughs> in the crash as well, seeing closures of around 15,000 arcades in the United States, and the revenue for the ones that survived fell by 40%. And then there's Atari. While Atari did survive the crash and continue to do business, it's accurate to say the crash left them with a mortal wound they could never recover from. By the end of 1983, Atari's parent company, Warner Communications, had seen its stock price drop from $60 to $20, and the company began searching for a buyer for Atari. Jack Tremiel, a Polish-American businessman, bought Atari in 1984 and rebranded it Atari Corporation. Warner retained Atari's arcade division in the deal, rebranding it to arcade, uh, Atari Games, even. 
and it went on to sell that to Namco in 1985. Now, Atari Corporation would have a series of wins and losses over the years, the wins being their home computers, and the losses being the Lynx and the Jaguar. Uh, they never really reached the previous heights of the Atari 2600, and they shut their doors in 1999 following the disastrous release of the Atari Jaguar, which I bought and I'm not at all bitter about. <laughs> uh huh. Mm hmm. It's, you know, I'm trying to funnel some of my ET anger back towards the Atari Jaguar where it belongs. <laughs> Listen to our games that made us for more info. I just wanted to play Doom. <laughs> it's not my fault. I didn't know Doom was going to come to the PlayStation eventually. It's not my fault. Anyway, <laughs> so naturally, when something dies, there's usually a burial, even when that death is a marketplace. That brings us to the landfill story. In September 1983, Atari buried its excess stock in a landfill near Alamogordo, New Mexico. That was a fucking hard name to say. Well done. You're doing really well. <laughs> you, yeah. you did well. Lots of yeah. words. Lots of words. So urban legend varies from saying the landfill consisted of a mix of nothing but Pac-Man and E.T. cartridges to some myths saying it contained millions of copies of E.T., like further perpetuating that idea that E.T. was the sole contributor to the market crash. But in 19, uh, 2014, uh, some gaming historians received permission to dig up the landfill. At this point in time, a former Atari executive called James Heller, who had overseen the original burial, clarified that the reported numbers were exaggerated and the, uh, only roughly uh, 728,000 cartridges had been buried and it was a, a mix of titles, it wasn't just E.T. Uh, and the excavation would actually support this this claim. Uh, not that these facts really stand in the way of the rumours because even today uh, people are still sharing the misinformation about the Atari landfill because, uh, simply put, uh, printing the legend is always going to be more lucrative. And the failures of Atari were just so fucking big, they needed a myth that really matched it. It had to grow in size to feel fitting of this whole clusterfuck of a story. So you could say that people were myth-taken. Yeah! yeah. I'll cut that out, don't worry. <laughs> How dare. How dare. <laughs> so, as part of the fallout of the market crash, the home computer market quickly expanded in Europe, with the Commodore 64 and the ZX Spectrum becoming the go-to place for computer games in that region. Japan would become the new core marketplace for console gaming, with the return of Nintendo and its very popular family computer system, called the Famicom. They soon began their plans to fill the void left in the Western market, which we'll get to another time. And that's the story of the video game market crash of 1983, and that will bring us to our big question. Do you think another market crash could happen? I mean, market crashes can always happen, I think. I don't think it's ever something you could rule out. I do feel like the industry is a lot more stable and a lot more regulated now in a way that would prevent that kind of like market flooding followed by the burial of the ET cartridges. I think, like, I think it's more likely that it would kind of be like a moral crash, like a reckoning for places like Activision... You know, Team 17 has recently had loads of allegations leveled against it. I think, you know, that could see uh, games companies struggling if, you know, all of the skeletons came out of the closets. But, you never know, then Microsoft might come and buy you and it'd be fine. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th I think, you know, always a possibility, but I I couldn't see it happening in quite the same way now. Yeah, that's a good point. There could, like, a cultural cra uh, clash. 
sorry, a cultural crash yeah. is entirely possible. Like with the, it it take a hell of a lot more than just Activision, sadly. Mm. Uh, but some, I mean, it needs to happen at some point. Like the the culture does need to change, but it's just a question of how much is too much for the industry to take before things need to change up. Yeah, exactly. Chip, we'll go to you next. Well, you know, I'm not a stonks NFT money chart predictor man. Um, but <laughs> sorry, what? Clearly, I thought you were. <laughs> Why are we here? <laughs> Don't make me say that again. I'm not going to be able to repeat what I just said. Um, Do it. Gaming, no stonks. <laughs> uh, yeah, gaming is immensely popular. As you know, anyone listening to this, and as we all know. Um, you know, it'd be a bit like Hollywood going out of business at this point, I think, considering how big the entertainment industry is and gaming is a huge part of that now, has a huge slice of it. Um, and I think, yeah, there might be downtimes, but, you know, with the, te- the way the technology grows and innovation grows as well, there's always going to be something to be excited about, whether it is a new game, a new piece of tech, a new console, you know, whatever it is. And there's always going to be things that don't work out, you know, Hello Xbox Connect and that sort of thing. But I do think gaming is always going to be um, a big part of people's lives now. So I don't think we'll ever see a crash as big as, you know, the one we've been talking about. But, you know, just to add to Becky's point, I really hope we do get that cultural uh, crash where every aspect of the industry has kind of had a, you know, a light shot upon it and... People are not sexually harassed. Hello, Activision. Uh, or just things like, you know, crunch and yeah. stuff like that as well. You know, kind of realizing that these people are human beings. And as much as I would love to see a game be released as soon as possible, I'd rather wait a year or two if people are being looked after. And the game itself is of a better quality because of that as well. So everyone's a winner. So hopefully something like that does happen. But I do think the market and the, the need for gaming is always going to be there now. And Bash, that's a good point, Chip. I, I mean, it's this hubris right to say that there couldn't be late stage capitalism has to implode at some point so i hope it doesn't gaming's been a big part of my life my entire life but um i feel like at the moment i can barely see past a year or two never mind (laughs) (laughs) so you know maybe let's get through potential world wars and pandemics and things and see where we land yeah i'm sorry to make that like really dour and (laughs) <laughs> pessimistic <laughs> i mean it is a discussion about an entire market crashing it's fair to be a little bit dour yeah like so i really hope it doesn't i think we might i a weird thing i think is coming in i'd say the next five ten years i think microsoft will stop making consoles Ooh. i just don't think it's been their focus for a long time yeah definitely not this generation um i think if game pass expands onto the likes of playstation i mean playstation are talking about doing that whole big back catalog thing and that being made available on pcs and stuff i think if libraries start being available across things i think we'll see a thinning down of consoles not that there's that many anymore but uh, yeah mm. i think that will happen if nothing else we said this was a really western focused episode and it absolutely is but you know the endurance of nintendo and the playstation consoles i think is very much driven by them being basically the only consoles bought in like an eastern market <laughs> yeah mm. so that's why i think if if a console is going to go, I think it's going to be Xbox. But that's not me being anti-Xbox. I just think Microsoft have other priorities. I think Game Pass is their moneymaker. Absolutely. Yeah, for like, sure. They've they've got options for how you can play on Game Pass. That's the whole thing. It's Xbox is basically just like an afterthought in the whole thing. Day one. 
day, yeah, day one. But day yeah, one. there's probably not going to be an all-market <laughs> crash, but unless the world ends. But uh... <laughs> A world crash. A world crash. I agree with a lot, like, a lot of everything you guys have said. Uh, it The market does seem very healthy right now, but it is an interesting point in history because we do have Microsoft buying up like, huge chunks of the industry. We have publishers trying to push ahead with fucking blockchain bullshit. There's the free-to-play monetized-to-hell model spreading into like long-running AAA franchises. And like, if the story of the 1983 crash taught us anything, it's that cons- uh, consumers do have a breaking point, and like anti-consumer horse shit will like ruin experience for gamers. And you know, mixed with there being only a small number of companies now controlling most of the real estate, that could lead to disaster. But I do kind of look at how like the market reacted to the emergence of loot boxes, and like how quickly. Like the consumer kind of rebelled against it and the industry responded to that backlash. It wasn't immediate, but it does kind of show that the industry is in a more of a, a reflexive place now. They are like quick to move like shut down any trends that aren't working. Like VR was gonna be like the next big thing for a while, but no no cunt can afford it. So <laughs> it's just become like a niche thing instead. So it's like the, the marketplace just keeps evolving and reshaping itself to like to work and this nft blockchain nonsense will probably see a similar fate mm. it's just like it's a buzzword that excites idiot shareholders just makes them think yay we're gonna get more money eventually everyone's gonna realize it's a pyramid scheme eventually yeah once it's proven it's not gonna work and there might be one poor sap in the industry that's gonna find out the hardware but once that happens that it will just get abandoned and the concept will just disappear and they'll just start chasing the next stupid fucking trend but it's hard to see like i think sash is absolutely right i do think xbox is more likely to fall but it won't be through failure it'll just be through like a pivoting of values they're looking at the bigger picture rather than like selling systems which is something uh, nintendo and sony are still very interested in so yeah, that's um that's us done with the market crash of nineteen eighty three. It's time for me to bring up my recommendation for this month. Oh god. And it's not something weird. I mean mm. it's, it, it it depends on your opinion on the person who wrote it. It's a book. And my recommendation is The Creative Gene by Metal Gear Solid and Death Stranding Genius, Hideo Kojima. It collects like a series of essays that he wrote for a Japanese pop culture magazine. This is about the stories that he's loved and that have inspired him for his life. Uh, the first half of the book is like entirely dedicated to the novels that he's read. And the second half's got like more of a mix of movies and music. And there's even one chapter dedicated to the Walkman and the iPod. It's really interesting just to see someone like generally considered a creative giant in this medium speaking with like reverence for other people's work. Like the prologue alone, it's like it's all about his daily routine of like leaving his office, going to a bookstore, seeking out a novel that intrigues him. He doesn't do any research; just walks around and sees what's giving him a good vibe. And he'll even go into detail how he stops going to a bookstore once it becomes too familiar to him, because like the layout and the sense of exploration is like a big part of him picking out books. It's like an important thing to him, which I found really interesting. It's like a nice little insight into his the way his mind works. 
which you don't always get when you try playing these games. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that one day. One day. <laughs> it's just it's just a really energizing read. Like it's actually rekindled my desire to read more regularly again. I really fell off reading in a big way. Like I was just resorting to audiobooks while I commuted to work on the bus. But then I started working from home and I just lost the motivation for even using audiobooks. But reading this book's got me really excited to like read some of the books that he's talked about with such like passion. I actually bought A Drink Before the War and Darkness Take My Hand by Dennis Lehane on his recommendation. Ooh. And I'm also really excited to try the late Project Ito's adaptation of Metal Gear Solid 4. He, he seemed very fond of the work that had been done on that like novelization. So it's just it's a really great insight into an artist's interests, the way his mind works. Uh, it's a great example of art appreciation. It's just a really lovely journey through like the relationship between consuming art and creating it. And just I was just a really big fan. I was very happy that I picked it up on a whim. That sounds really interesting. I am intrigued. Yeah, it's like what I looked for one book. Like the thing was the first book he talked about. I was really excited to try it. I I can't remember the name now. Inherit the Stars. And I tried to find a copy of the book, and the only one I could find would co- cost uh, like 150 quid. Oof. So I was like, yeah, I think I'll just get Dennis Lehane instead. <laughs> I, got, I got him for like £1.50. I'm good. Well, I'm not buying you another fucking book. So. <laughs> <laughs> not, please, Jim. I promise I won't buy that book. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, that's my recommendation for this month, The Creative Gene by Hideo Kojima. So, yeah, that's it for this month. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Like, seriously, thank you so much. We've only just started taking a look at the analytics now and we did not realise there are as many of you as there are. It's just really exciting to see and happy. Uh, I mean, we're not doing Joe Rogan numbers, but we're also not, like, dumb as fucking shit. So (laughs) we've got that going for us, don't we? Uh, Well, (laughs) hang on, I'm here. Yeah, but you're not, like, spreading misinformation, Chip. You're just being an idiot. (laughs) <laughs> thank yeah. you becky unless like You're pac-man sizes are a serious like misinformation thing we're, we're good we're good just yeah like really the audience we've got right now is just wonderful to see it's growing a little bit each month and uh, that's also really lovely to see little by little it's just, just thank you for joining us seriously it's just great to see if you like the show, please do give us a sub on whatever podcast platform you're using right now. Podcast. Uh, podcast. <laughs> podcast. I was going to let that slide, but uh, no, I I'm wasn't. glad someone else picked up on it. I don't give a fucking shit anymore. I love it. I, no, just before you finish, I just wanted to say well done for all of that. I know you spent loads of time researching and writing. It was really interesting. So thank you. You're welcome. Especially on COVID brain. Yeah. I'm so glad I finished it before I got COVID because like, the, the last half of that could have got real weird and vague. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, give us a subscribe, leave us a rating and review. Like, I'll just repeat this. I don't know if you realise, but you can uh, rate us on the Spotify mobile app. If you do that, it really helps us out. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram on one Pod. That's one upp odd with one d we do memes video game music anniversary posts reader questions all that shit so you can come and talk to us share your love of video games with us it's all good we're also on twitch now under the same name we haven't used it yet but we've got it so no one can steal it from us <laughs> ha you can also support us on coffee at coffee.com slash one up pod you can buy us a coffee because lord knows i fucking need one now <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, oh, and to repeat myself from earlier, we also have a website. Uh, so please bookmark oneuppod.com to get access to all our podcast content and new written content. We'll be doing stuff over there because now PR firms are giving us stuff, which is really nice of them. They they probably don't have to, but they do, and I appreciate it. And Andy's writing some really fun articles, so you need to get, give them a read because they're good. Oh, thank you. I wasn't going to big myself up there. but <laughs> Well, that's what I'm here for. Thank you. So yeah, everything's coming up Millhouse right now. It's all good. <laughs> so uh, if you want to follow us individually on the social medias, you can do that as well. Uh, Becky, since you were nice to me first, yeah. where can they find you? Oh, thank you. I am Becky Gracely on Twitter and Instagram. Bash, what about you? I'm Bash at Demonhead on things. Good stuff. <laughs> on all the things, including MySpace. Uh, yeah. Chip, what about you? Well, if you want to discuss the size of Pac-Man's cherries with me, you can find me on Twitter, where I'm at the Chip Thompson, or I'm also on Twitch, which is Chip Thompson's thumbs. Well done for remembering it this month. I, I write am, them down I'm so now. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I am. I am seriously proud of you. That's very impressive. <laughs> I did the minor amount of prep. You did some homework. That's good. That's the important <laughs> thing. We're, we're moving. I wrote my name. We're developing. It's, <laughs> this is growth. I love it. So <laughs> yeah, uh, next month we're going to be talking about Telltale's The Walking Dead. So uh, please do join us for that, or we will remember that. Hey. Now, I need to gargle some water because I've been talking a lot. Uh, so while I do that, don't forget to get a life and play video games. Good stuff. Okay, I'm going to stop the recording now.